Are you confused about what supplements you should actually be taking? In a world full of juice cleanses, detox teas, fancy promises, it can really be hard to trust anything. But high quality supplements, when dosed appropriately, can actually help support your fitness goals. And that's why I use Legion. I've been using Legion supplements since the beginning of this year, and after years of never really fully committing to one single brand due to lack of transparency in their labeling, unnecessary fluff, or just reporting things as blends and not knowing what's actually my product, I finally found a solid science-based product line that fits my supplementing needs. Legion's products are 100% naturally sweetened, and my favorite part, they are fully transparent in their labeling, and they use dosages that are actually backed by what the science says you need to be effective and support your fitness goals. And not the least amount you can get away with, and not just labeling as blends, but fully transparently telling you what's in your product and why they dosed it that way. And this is huge, because it lets you know exactly what you're taking and if it's actually going to be effective, and then you can know what's going into your body. My personal favorites are their cinnamon cereal whey. Yes, it tastes as good as it sounds. The mocha cappuccino plant protein. Pulse, their pre-workout, which comes in non-stimulant or caffeinated stimulant based. And Recharge, the recovery blend, which also gives me the creatine I need to move weights well in the gym. Legion offers 100% money back guaranteed if you're not happy with their products. And you can save 20% off your first order today with our code MESSYMIDDLE at checkout. That's M-E-S-S-Y. M-I-D-D-L-E at checkout to save 20% today. This is Alyssa Olenek of Little List Fitness. And I'm Kate, otherwise known as Coach Carmichael. We are PhD students, endurance athletes who lift, outdoors enthusiasts, and entrepreneurs. We believe the narrative of the fitness and wellness industry is often far too extreme. So forget about the black and white messages that you've heard. On this podcast, we believe that life is best lived in the, the messy, messy middle. and welcome back to another episode of the Messy Middle Podcast. I'm super excited about today's episode. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time in season two or new here, not really sure what's going on in season one exclusively, we did solo podcast episodes or we just did interviews. But this season, we're bringing in something different where we are just doing co-hosted episodes. So I did one with Stephanie on metabolism. And then this one I'm going to do with Claire on the effects of menstrual cycle and oral contraceptives on exercise performance. So I'm bringing Claire on today. If you don't know Claire Zai, she works with Barbell Medicine, super wicked smart. And she's also probably one of the other younger experts on this in our field with me. And I have high respect for her knowledge. And between the two of us, we have a pretty good depth and breadth on a lot of this. So she's a little more uh, well-versed in the effects of these things on strength parameters than I am. And I'm the metabolism guru since that's what my PhD work is in. So together we're going to bring it in and talk about how menstrual cycle or contraceptives uh, or general birth control for those of you who like that's kind of the technical term um, if you're on the pill. Um, affect your exercise performance, your exercise metabolism, what this actually means for you, what to do about it, all of those good things. So we are going to break through down like your basic ventral cycle one-on-one. Um, we're going to touch base and give you kind of a general overall consensus based off some current studies that have come together that have collapsed this data, but then we're going to tease out some individual things. So uh, Claire's going to talk a lot about uh, the pill, muscle, protein synthesis, growth, recovery, strength, all those things we really care about. And I'm going to talk a lot about metabolism um, and how your metabolism changes across the cycle. Um, should you actually periodize your training around the cycle? Does it matter? Uh, things that you can actually practically do to maybe reduce impacts of your cycle on exercise performance, overall takeaways. And then we do have um, some main or some, sorry, well, listener Q and A's and main takeaways to take from that for you guys. So you actually like kind of feel like you can leave this podcast today with answers to your questions and not just us yelling about estrogen for an hour and a half. So 
without further ado, hello, Claire. Welcome hello. and thank you for co-hosting this with me today. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. All right. So Claire and I both pulled up images of the cycle. Um, so we don't mess this up. So if you guys don't know, if you don't see an Instagram, I jokingly have a little menstrual cycle drawn out on my board. That's directly behind my computer because I don't, I feel like you could see a thousand pictures of a menstrual cycle, Claire. I don't know about you and you will still mess it up when you say it. <laughs> like, yes. I'll still mess it up when I say it, when I test on it. So I have to like memorize it for the MCAT when I test on it, I still get it right. But like, for some reason, when I'm talking about it, I think it's the nerves. I just get flustered and every time. Yeah. And so somehow mess it up and reading the science is always complicated. Cause those one study will say higher in the follicular and the other one will say lower in the luteal. And I'm like, you both mean the same thing. Which one are you talking about? And I have to like, look at the picture to like connect it. And so, yeah, it's, it's not that complicated though. So we'll break it down. Um, we'll tag team this. So I guess I'll start. So for those of you who are not on birth control, oral contraceptives, you're just a naturally hormone cycling woman. Um, your phase, your menstrual cycle can be broken to like two major phases. So your follicular phase, which is going to be the first half of your menstrual cycle. And then your luteal phase, which is going to be the second half of your menstrual cycle. You can even break those down further into earlier and late of each of those. So early follicular, late follicular, early luteal, late luteal. But generally we talk to talk about luteal phase the most, usually talking about like mid luteal. You'll hear that a lot in a lot of research studies. Cause that's when, um, a lot of studies are done, but Starting in the very beginning is the onset of your period, the onset of your menstrual cycle. So that's technically day zero or day one, however you want to think about it, of your follicular phase. And that's actually the lowest hormone week of your menstrual cycle. So even though you are on your period, you are like experiencing your menstrual cycle. Ironically, we tend to think of that making us very hormonal. Um, from you know maybe a pop culture perspective, but your hormones are actually at the lowest point during this. So um, during the week of your period, they like to say in the scientific literature, quote unquote, that's when you were the most like a man. You're not actually like a man there, but your hormone levels are very low. And so in a lot of research studies, they'll use women during this phase. I just did this in my current study because it's really easy to control for because you have physiological feedback about what's going on in your body. We know what your hormones are doing that week and it's easy to compare it to men during that phase. So then you move into the second half of your follicular phase and that's when you're gonna start to get a rise in estrogen. So estrogen is gonna start to build but this is leading into ovulation. So for those of you who have tried to procreate or you are avoiding procreating, you know, this is the, hopefully, you know, this is the time of the month where you want to avoid sexual intercourse. If you are trying not to create a, a human child baby, or, you know, you're, if you are a woman who's tried to conceive before, you might perfectly try to time this up um, during this time of the month. So estrogen rises along with follicular stimulating hormone, luteinizing hormone, and about day 14, you reach ovulation. So your body wants to make a baby. Okay. You, it might've happened. It might not have happened. We don't know yet. So then these all crash. So estrogen dips down again, but then it starts to rise up with progesterone. So this is going to be your high hormone phase. So even though estrogen is high in that first half of your menstrual cycle, we kind of think of this as the high hormone phase because you have both estrogen and progesterone elevated together. And this is about the third week of your menstrual cycle. So this is where you might actually experience some of your more PMSE symptoms during this week. Um, leading into the last week of your luteal phase, fourth week of the month, where these start to drop, they go down, they basically crash. You can think of it like that. And you get your period. When this, when this happens, you get the onset of your next menstrual cycle. And that completes the thing, the whole thing. Um, it's about 28 days. Claire, you can correct me if, my wrong, if I'm wrong, but the average is like 26 to 32, give or take 
Yeah, that's, and then it can change from anywhere from there from like 21 to like 40 days. And that's still considered uh, within the typical range. So yeah. there's so, a lot of variability, but the average is 28. Yeah. So you're not broken or wrong. I honestly, if you have a 21 day cycle, I'm so sorry, but like <laughs> two weeks on one week off, man. No, yeah. Two weeks I, off one week on. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, 28 is basically the average, um, give or take, you're not broken if it's not that, but that's kind of the standard in a lot of things. And then if you are on oral contraceptives, it's really simple. You have three weeks of the same dose, whatever your, your pill pack is of hormones for three weeks. And then you have one week of essentially low hormones where you're on your sugar pills. Uh, you might have, a, sometimes you have rise in your normal estrogen during this across this week, but for the most part, you can think of it as a steady amount of hormones for three weeks. And then you have your sugar pill week, or if you're on triphasic, you have three different levels for one week across the month. Um, but they're still steady across that whole week. And then for, I know a lot of people ask about the other types of birth control. Um, there's a lot of them. There's many of them. A, a large, sum of the research is going to be done on just normal, like mono or triphasic or a contraceptive pills. Not as much is done on the, the other types of uh, yeah. birth control. It's just unfortunately not super common in the literature. So what I usually say, and Clara, you can say whatever advice you have for women on this. When I have clients and women who ask me when they're on IUDs or, um, the bar or other types of pills is take and apply what you feel fits to you from a mix of the menstrual cycle information we give you and the pill and use that to kind of figure out what works for yourself when that's the advice we're probably going to give you anyway. Yeah. I was going to say that whatever advice we give today is going to be very similar to like, it's not going to change depending on what oral contraceptive you're using, or if you're not on anything, like regardless of what you're using, our advice will be probably pretty consistent across the board. And I just wanted to add to what you said, Liz, with the, with the menstrual cycle, if you want to think about it across the whole thing, um, during your follicular phase, there's just like this steady increase. It's like kind of walking up a hill and then the hill ends. And then you have this like both progesterone and estrogen increase kind of looking like a, a standard bell curve. Mm -hmm. So just like a, a general hill. So you have one steep hill with estrogen that drops off and then the two small hills that rise together. So yes, that's exactly. kind of how we think about it. And maybe we'll draw you a better picture of what, what we're talking about when we say those. I actually am looking at, I had branded figures of the menstrual cycle and the birth control made. So I wasn't doing copyright violations in my training book. Um, so I'll try to, at least on the Instagram post or in my blog, when we link this, I can't do it in show notes on anchor, maybe try to just include that for you, for those of you who have never seen this. And I'll also add, if this is the first time you're learning about this, not to be frustrated or feel broken. I mean, I don't know about you, Claire, but I feel like I kind of knew this stuff because you do learn it in undergrad physiology, but I never truly understood it until I just like actually started to teach it to myself. And I, I mean, personally, I've been on birth control for like 10 years. So I was just like, I was like, whatever for like the last decade. And then I started to read the literature and I was like, oh, I probably should have known this when I was like 16. Like this probably would have been really helpful to know. So don't be embarrassed if this is your also first time learning about this too. Yeah. It's complicated. It's not easy. And it's super challenging once you start adding in more hormones and just starting with two is complicated enough. So yeah. So I don't think we need, we won't even cover the other ones. And I think we'll be very complicated just today. 
Yeah. So I will add this and this came up a little bit in the, in the uh, conversation that we had about metabolism too. These podcasts could probably, I mean, they're not perfectly hand in hand, but they'd probably be helpful to listen together. If you're just trying to get a broader picture of all this is there are a ton of hormones in our body that do a whole bunch of things. There's not just estrogen and progesterone, but that's what you're going to think about a lot and talk about a lot when you're talking about these things in this small niche of research, but like, of course, and yes, you have other hormones in your bodies that do other things that play roles in these. Um, but don't get too hung up on this as like, you know, the quote unquote Instagram hormonal coaches balances type thing. There's a lot more that happens in your body outside this. We are just talking about these two because these are the two that are researched in the context of what we're going to talk about today. So yeah. we're not diagnosing you with a hormone imbalance over a podcast. Oh God, <laughs> I'm triggered. I'm so triggered. I know, but I oh, have man. to add that because someone's going to be like, wait, are you saying I have a hormone imbalance? No, we are not saying that because we literally know nothing no. about you. There's like, <laughs> okay. I looked this up to the, the other day because I got really angry about something on Instagram and like, there's only a 5% incidence and prevalence rate of hormone imbalance issues within the literature. So the likelihood that you have one that's undiagnosed, you probably already know about it. It's not that high. Just keep, just don't worry about it. It's okay. We'll explain it. Yeah. And as you can see, like we just kind of discussed, they fluctuate. So it's not really a balance. It's more of a synchrony type. It's like an orchestration, yeah. I guess yeah. you could say anyway. So anyway, we're going to kick this off with addressing that overall, there was two big meta-analyses that were done this past fall, they came out in the same lab, same team. One was on the effects of birth control and performance, and one was the effects on menstrual cycle and performance. We're not going to get into the nitty gritty on these because you, you can absolutely can look them up. I can try to remember to link in the show notes, the citations for these, because I know people are going to be curious. So I will say they did collapse a bunch of data on performance for this and looked at it just kind of as a whole. So we're going to tease like littler things out today, but overall, what they found is that when it comes to oral contraceptives, there's a slight favor of women that are not on the pill on exercise performance. And then for the menstrual cycle itself, what did, I can't remember exactly. There was one phase, was it early luteal that they found slight performance disadvantages that they attributed to having lower hormones? Or am I thinking I of think a different study? I don't remember with that study, but I think it was probably late luteal. Late luteal. Okay. There was something like that. Yeah. But it was really small. It was was very small. A teeny tiny, if you guys know what the word effect size means, it's just like the magnitude of the effect of what they found across the literature. And so for the most part, the takeaways of both of these studies were, especially the menstrual cycle one specifically, was this should be individualized. We don't have enough data to make conclude the conclusive absolute statements of the effects of your cycle or hormones on performance. Uh, don't change anything. And that's kind of Claire's stance on this, unless you absolutely are one of the people who on an individual level find that you need to address this from a performance perspective, or like you have like more extreme symptoms in one phase of the month versus the other. And like Claire does this personally with clients um, that she does where like I control for this with like studies. Um, But for the most part, the key takeaway in the literature is there's a lot of cool science that we're going to talk to you about today, but you probably don't need to do anything except for the few things we're going to tell you about. Um, Unless on an individual level, that's something that you personally like need. Yep. And that's the, that's it. That's the podcast. That's all we're going to talk about. <laughs> that's it. You're done. You don't have to listen to any more. We've covered everything you need to know. It's individualized. And now we're going to give you reasons why it's really individualized. Yeah. And maybe not as clear cut as Instagram would like you to think it is. 
Yeah, I know. Everyone wants to tell you to turn around your cycle. And I honestly feel like people expect me to do that in my posts, but I'm like, I'm just not going to tell you that because I'm just going to most, I, I'm going to give this caveat. That's kind of tough love too. A lot of the people that are listening to this are women and a lot of women don't train correctly to begin with. Not all of them, but a large subset of them. And so I would address that first. But um, when we think about this though, and I think speaking of Instagram, so we, when we think of exercise and performance, especially in the fitness industry, I think that we tend to only think about strength training. I think we forget that there is an aerobic and anaerobic component because most people are just focused on lifting and gains. Um, because I feel like the running circle of Instagram is just its own universe. I know Claire's flexing on the thing right now, and I'm just a hypocrite of all things. Um, like nothing about what I do makes sense, but I, I, I straddle both pools of it. Um, but Claire's going to talk a little bit more about this, but I think one of the biggest things we see on Instagram though, is basically one, everyone's anti-birth control, but everyone is telling you that your birth control is going to kill your gains and affect muscle strength, growth, and recovery. So we'll start with that. Cause I think that's a good leeway. Cause I think that's what people are probably the most interested in. Mm-hmm. I will reference that. I do have a mini little list rant podcast episode that will parallel this very nicely. Some of this might be redundant and overlap, but I did do that last season um, where I collected kind of like the general consensus and talked about some of the effects that oral contraceptives might have on performance. Um, and that was pertaining probably more to the aerobic or anaerobic. And when I say anaerobic guys, I mean like maybe your hit type things, you can think of that, like your CrossFit, your, your higher intensity type training, things like that. Um, but Claire is going to walk you through some of these effects on muscle strength, uh, protein synthesis, growth, recovery, all that stuff that pertains to your gains in the gym. Cause that's kind of her niche. So Claire, take it away. Cool. So we're going to start with birth control. Birth control is not killing your gains. Just going to put it out there hard and fast <laughs> right at the start. Um, so there's a study there's been that meta-analysis that Liz just talked about. And then there was a study in 2020 by White Wydower, mm-hmm. I think. And so they took women who were naturally cycling and women who were on birth control and put them through a strength program and then me- measured their grip strength and leg strength across their cycle. And there was fluctuations in both of those groups. So as we described earlier, women who are on birth control don't have those typical fluctuations that a woman who is not on birth control would have. And so those fluctuations, because they are not present, are not accounting for the changes in performance, right? And they also found that these changes in performance were pretty small. So that would indicate that those hormone fluctuations that are coming from the menstrual cycle might not be actually responsible for the changes in training across your cycle. There's something else going on. and then, so that's like birth control in a, in a nutshell. So I just wanted to start there and then we're going to go down to strength and like changes in, do you mind if I start with protein synthesis? No, go ahead. I'll okay. probably touch on it a little bit later, but that's cool. I'll talk, probably talk about nutritionally. So talk, go ahead and talk about this because that is important. They, they overlap, yeah. right? Yeah. So the. The biggest point is that when estrogen is high, we think that estrogen has this protective effect and is helping to increase muscle protein synthesis and decrease muscle protein breakdown. So in order to gain muscle, you have to have more protein synthesis than you have muscle protein breakdown. And both of these are happening all the time in your body. Uh, And in order to change that balance between muscle protein synthesis and muscle protein breakdown, you have to push the muscle protein synthesis a little bit harder to increase the amount of muscle that you've created. So we think that there's this protective effect of estrogen and this comes, this is coming from rat studies. So the rat studies show that because you can overectomize a rat, you can take out their ovaries, which means you're removing the amount of estrogen that they have in their body. 
those rats exhibit like a decreased level of strength and muscle size. So that those studies will like take those and try and apply them to humans. And once we try and apply those to humans, this kind of like falls apart. And then I'm sorry, I forgot a piece. So you'll overectomize these rats. You'll take out the estrogen and you see this decrease in strength and muscle size, which is then compared to regular rats, it's lower and it's decreased from baseline. And then when you give them exogenous estrogen or estrogen from outside the bodies, you inject it, inject these rats with estrogen, then you see the return of this muscle size and muscle strength. So that's where we get this idea that estrogen has this protective effect. And then when you go, and because we have these naturally cycling hormones or hormones that cycle with higher estrogen, you would think that based on these animal studies, that estrogen would have an effect, a protective effect on muscle size and strength. And so that's how we kind of get to this point where we're like, okay, do we need to be asking these questions in the literature on women? Does having a higher, or like, is estrogen actually protective in strength training? And does it create this like increased muscle protein synthesis that would increase our muscle size and muscle strength? We find that there is an increase in muscle protein synthesis, but it doesn't actually correlate to this increase in performance in strength or in muscle size. Is that pretty clear, Alyssa? Do you feel like you have anything to add to that? I was going to say too, that I think that this ties in, and I don't know if you have these in your like notes for this, um, but I think there has been a few studies rec more recently on women like on birth control versus not. Um, mm -hmm. and they find, and they think, and like, I will say this, like, uh, there's like a few studies on this and they're very, they're smaller. Um, and there are new, but finding that, like, I think like, when you compare, like even women on birth control that the, they, they hypothesize because some of the studies they're finding that women on the birth control are actually having like slightly greater muscle gains and may not actually turn into strength gains though. It just might have higher muscle and they think it's due to the estrogen itself. But I also don't think the magnitude of that is like anything crazy um it's just enough to probably say that it's probably not hurting it or decreasing yeah. it yeah yeah so estrogen is a good thing but it's maybe not like you know turning us into superwoman yeah i was telling someone the other day like don't take estrogen in order like as a anabolic <laughs> drug yeah yeah it's not that it's not a ped it's not gonna make you a million times better uh there's just, when we get down to this very granular level of looking at these small rats and injecting them with estrogen, that's where we get this like protective effect. And then we have to like walk through and keep asking the question, like, does this affect humans? Okay. Does this affect humans performance? Does this affect humans performance at the level of the menstrual cycle? And that's kind of where we're getting or birth control. And that's yeah. kind of where we're getting to the fact like, no, it, it really doesn't. So, and we have both a meta-analysis and a, a study cited here that'll be yeah good. and i think like when it comes down to it true like estrogen is our friend and it does have a lot of really positive things i would say for the most part the effects of your cycle and hormones when it comes probably to strength performance are actually a lot less than aerobic at least from what i've seen in the literature for the most part there's a yeah. lot more metabolic effects and i'd say the role of the menstrual cycle on female hormones probably pay more of a role in your overall health then they do actually like performance, especially when you think about like controlling all these other variables that affect performance too. So like estrogen probably does have some favorable responses and it might help with muscle. Um, it might help you be, you know, due to some of the metabolic effect, effects, you might be able to recover a little bit better and that's an advantage. Um, it does support 
muscle, but it's not, um, like, I get, like Claire said, it's not it's like not anabolic, it's, it's not anabolic in like nature, like other specific steroid hormones or things you might take actually to, to enhance performance. Um, and then when it comes to the birth control literature, um, there are a few, I think like, I think Brad Schoenfield was a co-author mm-hmm. on one of these studies. They actually had a pretty good strength setup. So what's hard with some of these studies though, is like, you really want to have women that are doing the same strength program too, because that can really affect these things, but they did fine with birth control. And they think, I think it's like the difference between 20 micrograms and 30 microgram doses of estrogen and mm-hmm. the birth control pills that the higher dosage had a greater gains effect. So I'm not telling yeah. you to go change your birth control to 30 micrograms of estrogen, but that like they might've had more muscle, but then is that functional? Are you getting stronger with it? We don't, you're, it's probably not enough of a difference. Um, Cause I and don't it, think there was any strength differences in that too. Go ahead. Yeah. And it also probably doesn't like comport over like a long period of time. So these studies are typically eight to 12 weeks mm-hmm. That's on average, how long the study goes. And so if you're seeing those differences for eight to 12 weeks, but you're not measuring it for 56 weeks, we don't know if we keep seeing those changes across time. So, yeah. or just normalizes out. Yeah, it in all likelihood it probably normalizes out. Yeah. So, do you want to talk about? Sorry. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was gonna say, do you want to talk about the other effects of estrogen and progesterone in the body metabolically, and then we can go back to like kind of switch off between strength training and aerobic that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, if you guys again aren't aware in context, I strength train and I care about this stuff, but I'm not as like like for the sake of this podcast, I guess we can say tits deep um, since it's a female fitness podcast and it's my podcast and I can say what I want. Um, in the strength literature, unfortunately, um, I use like metabolic carts and aerobic-based modalities and HIT training specifically in my studies that's what I'm interested in um, because it's metabolism. And so we actually do see a good bit of effects of menstrual cycle on metabolism more specifically. Um, so metabolism does affect strength training, but for the most part, it's not, I mean, especially if you're doing like, like Olympic weightlifting or powerlifting, like me and Claire, you're, you're such an acute amount of effort that you're not really like really stressing your metabolic systems as much. You're using energy systems, but like not the and same you as have so much rest time. <laughs> you have so much rest, time. <laughs> so much rest time. Yeah. It's fine. Just yeah. So it's probably not something that you're noticing or you can tell. Whereas if you're running or doing high intensity interval work, or maybe your CrossFit water, whatever it is, you might, this might be where like on a unique personal level, you are going to notice more sensitivities in this and you're not crazy for noticing them. Um, but we will talk about ways to, you know, work around that so that you're not like, Oh my God, it's me. I'm broken. I have a hormone imbalance. I'm like, no, your hormones are doing what they're doing, but we can be smart about how we exist. Right. So estrogen is like, again, our best friend, we think about it. So I really like estrogen in the fact, like in women's literature, at least when it comes to metabolism and substrate oxidation is kind of what more I use for my term, because we think of like, you know, we think of everything in context of men and women being niche, but there's actually like a lot of women, women are like half the population, but there's a lot of like really good things that come from having estrogen, even if it's not making you the most gains out whole female to ever exist. Um, And so estrogen plays a really positive role. It helps us, especially in the first half of our menstrual cycle, it's going to help with glycogen storage. So that's going to enhance our abilities to bring our carbs that we eat in our diet and store them um, for later use. And having stored glycogen is really important for exercise performance. Um, If you guys have ever bonked while running before, like in a wad or whatever, you know that it's not fun to run out of carbohydrate. Like that's not great, especially if you're doing long-term endurance stuff. So that's an, that's um, advantageous. 
It increases fatty acid synthesis. Um, it just increases fat oxidation as a whole. Estrogen plays a really big role in our body's ability to use fat for energy metabolism. And it does this through a couple of different ways. So estrogen acts on receptors directly within our muscle that trigger pathways that stimulate mitochondrial biogenesis and just our fatty acid oxidation pathways. So as a whole, it increases our body's ability to use the pathways that oxidize and use fat. And again, it, there's rat studies where they give male rats, or there's actually studies where they give men in general estrogen, and you see an enhance of these effects just from the estrogen itself, because we have estrogen receptors directly in our muscle. Um, but then our bodies as women are also more sensitive to um, central nervous system stimulation during exercise, and they're more willing to release free fatty acids for oxidation as well. And then we also have a little bit more of triglycerides or fat stored in our muscles because of these pathways. So we kind of get a triple whammy as women where we have more fat, our body's more willing to liberate it, to give it up, um, to burn fat. We have the pathways that are more primed for burning fat. And then we also are storing a little bit more. We'll also be able to store more glycogen. And then because of all these things, we can actually decrease carbohydrate reliance, which during exercise, this is actually a good thing to be able to prolong the use of carbohydrate. So we're depleting, so we're not depleting it right away um, and decrease our reliance on anaerobic metabolism. If you're doing a high and hard enough intensity, you are going to be doing anaerobic metabolism, but basically just means that you can go longer before you're stealing from your carbohydrate stores, depleting that you might be able to use a little bit more fat as your total energy exertion, um, or like at higher intensities relative to your own performance. And so because of this, you are sparing the depletion of your glycogen stores. And you're, since you're using more oxidation, uh, you're able to have lower blood lactate levels. For those of you who are unfamiliar with lactate beyond just thinking it causes muscle stores, store, uh, soreness, this accumulates during exercise. You're always producing it, but when you get to a point in performance where you can't clear it out as fast as you're producing it, it starts to accumulate. Um, you think of that as the probably associate that with the burning sensation in your muscles, but it's just an accumulation of it. And eventually performance as a whole for multiple factors, you're going to fatigue, um, but that will start to increase rapidly. And that can inhibit other pathways of metabolism that can inhibit fatty acid metabolism. Um, but then unfortunately, estrogen is also associated with increased fat storage. So the reason as a woman, you probably have your little bit lower belly fat, maybe some fat in your hips, maybe just some extra fat in general, you're not happy about, you have that because of estrogen, but it also encourages a healthier fat distribution pattern. Um, so you're gonna store more fat under the skin versus men might store more closer to the organs. So this might be why um, you see like those, those beer bellies on guys where it looks like they have like a hard belly, but they have fat, like, but it's not on the outside where a woman, you always feel like you have your, like you're pinching your little, fat that we have is like that you see that cliche that we see um but that's actually advantageous so due to this though estrogen actually has a lot of health protecting factors with our metabolism because we're able to use fat and glucose more efficiently and so we actually see lower rates of metabolic disease and or even like longer term prevention at least in normal healthy weight women um because of estrogen when they're premenopausal. And that's also then why in the postmenopausal period, you might see an onset of more metabolic dysregulation because the lack of the hormones present there. So it does a lot of really good things for metabolism, but 
we only have high estrogen one part of our month, right? We have estrogen all the time as women just fluctuates in amounts. Um, we're generally going to have more estrogen than like our male peers as a whole, but then we have progesterone, which unfortunately can have anti-estrogen effects. So in that second half of your menstrual cycle, when you have them both elevated, especially if progesterone is significantly or just higher in estrogen in general, it can inhibit some of these positive effects. So estrogen is there, but it's maybe not able to do as good of a job because progesterone kind of can like get, you can think of it as like, I'm trying to think of like a sports analysis. Like, I don't, I don't know. It's like, it's blocking. I'm trying to think of, I don't know enough about football, but it's, it's, it basically, it's not letting estrogen do the great job that it wants to do. It's um, a defender. So it's a defender. Yeah. So progesterone's like playing defense here in the second half of the month. So you can think of this as all the opposite effects. So anti-estrogen effects as a whole, but you have decreased insulin sensitivity in the second half of your menstrual cycle, which basically, or when progesterone is high. Um, so this affects things like glucose uptake, um, which means that you might have lower glycogen storage. So remember we're storing carbs in our muscles and our liver. Um, it can inhibit the amount of that or the capacity of that. This can inhibit glucose availability. So you might not have glucose being uptaken um, as efficiently, which we want that, especially during exercise. Um, but then also ironically, you can kind of have like impaired uh, fat metabolism, but this all as a whole can impact anaerobic metabolism. So this is why like during exercise, we'll talk about performance stuff. You just might be not be able to go as high and hard and intense because your body is just not able to use carbohydrates as effectively. So you're kind of relying more on fats, but not from an advantageous perspective, but that's just kind of what your body's stuck using. Um, and then when we talked about protein with Claire a little bit, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, you have higher protein breakdown because of progesterone. So metabolically, we tend to think of just carbs and fats and using those as energy metabolism, but you don't want to break down protein. That's not something you want to do. Your body generally doesn't want to do that, but we do see higher rates of protein breakdown when progesterone is present. Um, you also might have things like increased heart rate, increased ventilation, increased body temperature, which are slightly related to metabolism. They are physiological responses during the second half of the phase. So that's kind of like the overall. Um, yeah. And what I'm interested in mostly is like the thing that we talked about with Steph in my metabolism episode and my research is metabolic flexibility and your ability to flux between fat and carbs efficiently. And so estrogen probably might support more metabolic flux because it's going to be able to like spare carbohydrates when you're not using it, use a little bit more fat switch between those things. Um, and it can be just advantage as a whole. But of course these things change across the cycle. Um, there's a lot going on in our bodies, but that's kind of like the very like general one-on-one -on -one without getting too nitty gritty about like what's kind of going on. Yeah. So Liz, I think the next question that would logically be asked is like, what does this kind of look like in training? Like how do these changes in estrogen and progesterone, especially if they're implicated in metabolic flexibility, what does that look like once you get to aerobic training? Yeah. So again, I'm going to give the disclaimer that as we talked about at the beginning, you might not even notice these things. You might have very mild, mild variations in your cycle. Um, my general prescription of this, especially because I think most women don't think about how they feel good in the first half of their cycle kind of thing. Like you're just, you kind of associate that with feeling normal. So you might have some higher energy. I like anecdotally in that first half when estrogen's high, you might feel great. You might feel like you can push a little bit harder on your workouts. You might feel like you have that little extra bit of that like umph because you're going to have better lactate clearance and also better just ability to be glycolytic and use carbs, but also have an advantage of relying on fat a little bit more. You just might have that extra 1%. That might be a good time. If you feel good, awesome, crush it. 
Um, but then again, you might not feel different that week from two weeks later. So it really just depends on you. And then in that second half of your cycle, there are, I think I have a study cited here and I don't remember the name of the author, but, um, you, I think it's a Campbell study from the early 2000s. Um, you might feel decreases in performance during that second half of the menstrual cycle, especially if you're relying on, um, energy metabolism, that's aerobic in nature. So if you're running, doing your CrossFit, doing your HIIT, um, but there are a few studies that show that when you eat carbohydrates before or during performance, the impact on like time to fatigue. So a lot of these are like cycle time to fatigue studies. So they basically have someone like get on a bike and in one half of the menstrual cycle. And then again, in the second half, and they're seeing how long it takes you to fatigue essentially. So the longer you can go, the less more fatigue resistance you are. Think about like, if I sent you outside right now and I said, go run until you can't run anymore. That's essentially what they're doing. Um, so there was poor performance in women in the second half of the menstrual cycle, but when you increase carb intake pre or intra workout, these things kind of go away, right? Because you're giving your body the thing that it's struggling to use on its own. So from a performance standpoint, again, a lot of this comes down a lot to nutritional strategies, which is probably why you see me yell at women to eat carbs and like take care of themselves all the time. Um, so a lot of these differences go away. And even as a whole, when we look at metabolism research in um, aerobic settings, which a lot of it is in steady state or ramped protocols, if participants are fasted, the magnitudes of difference of the cycle are greater, but a lot of that gets muddied when you're fed. So nutritional intake probably has just as big of a role, if not bigger than the fluctuations and hormones themselves. I think the biggest thing that I, I really cannot hit home enough for women is like one, eating adequate carbohydrate intake to, in, to support your performance because of these changes. Um, I feel like women want to identify with their cycle because they want to have it affect them and have them be different, but like, you don't want it to be, to be different. Ideally, really. I mean, there's not like, it's not like a good or bad thing. Um, but the biggest thing is that during the second half of the phase of the menstrual cycle, because of the higher progesterone, if you are not already eating adequate protein intake in your diet, which I think Claire and I will both like probably encourage that you are, especially if you're interested in performance as a whole, you're going to want to increase it during this time. Um, due to the fact that you're going to have higher muscle protein breakdown, there's a really cool study. I don't think I have the citation here, but I can try to pull it up um, for, I think it's the, I don't, I don't know how to say it. Doosters at all, 2018. Um, it's a, they, they took, um, I don't know. I have it. I have it. I'll link it in the show notes. I don't, I'm yeah, you're on it, Claire. Um, yep. It's a really cool where they took blood from participants in every single week of their menstrual cycle or phase. I think it's like five time points actually. And they did all these like metabolomic stuff to it. And they looked at like presence of like amino acids and lipids and glucose and carbohydrates. And there is like significantly lower amino acid availability or like presence of it during that phase. Um, they hypothesize that a lot of this comes down to the fact that like your body's pooling energy and resources away because it's trying to prepare for a, for a baby and it's building up your uterine lining and stuff like that. So increase your cravings or your increase your protein intake. If you don't time your carb intake around your workouts, um, you don't have to go track your macros or do anything serious, but just like make a point to maybe eat some more carbs before, or even like you know, sip on some Gatorade or something during a workout, especially if it's 90 minutes or longer during this phase. These are general nutrition approaches we're going to tell you anyway. Um, and the only other really big thing that I'm going to say too, is because I was talking about increased ventilation, heart rate, and you might have poor thermoregulation. So if you don't take like 
a electrolyte supplement, especially if you're in the heat or doing aerobic modalities or the summer, whatever it is, it might be like worthwhile taking that, especially if you're performing um, during the second half of the, the cycle, because that, that's a pretty standard trend um, that you see in some of these things. So those are things that you might, but again, this isn't really different than what you would do in the first half of your study, especially if you're focused on performance. If you care about performance, then you're going to be eating carbs, taking protein, and probably supplementing with electrolytes if you're doing aerobic or training, like especially my runners. Anyway, like these are things that I take year round or focus on in my diet, whether I'm ultra running or Olympic weightlifting or doing both together. Like these things are standard and controlled in my diet, like no matter what but if you are someone who wants to be mentally lazy for half the month like just maybe increase your focus on that in the second half that's really what it comes down to um i will say too i know a lot of women want to know this and they ask this and we are on the topic of metabolism you may increase your metabolic rate during that mid luteal phase by like a small degree i i don't know the exact number i think it's somewhere like there is a study that did do this and I don't know the number off the top of my head. I should have pulled it up, but I think it's something like one to 300 calories extra a day. So if you are a little hungry during that phase, like eat a little bit more, probably okay. You might crave a little bit more fat since your body's not like, it's not as insulin sensitive. And I know we crave chocolate and stuff during that time. You're probably just want fat. Um, but it might be more of an advantage to eat a little bit extra carbs or protein during that time if you're going to do it. But if you are a little extra hungrier again, self-reported, you're not broken, eat an extra snack and probably do it before or during your workout. <laughs> like just like beef that up. Like, yeah, I just don't, I agree with you. I don't think that there's anything that I do, any of my clients do, anyone that I like talk to where I would suggest that they do something drastically different during the first half or the second half. It's going to be an extra snack. It's going to be like, and we'll talk about strategies to like work around training, but if you're fueling yourself properly during the first half, it, you're also going to be fueling yourself properly during the second half. And you should set yourself up to have that consistency across all time because it's those consistent moves that make you successful. Yeah. And if you do have those things like in a lot, like, and this is the thing too, and this is what any coach is going to tell you. You can't just come and be like my menstrual cycle screwing up my training, but also have inconsistent nutrition, sleep, hydration, all these things like poor protein intake. Cause we don't actually know then if it's that, because think about like your own personal changes across the month anyway, like as a human being. So like before you even take this and you're like, oh, I definitely have poor lactate metabolism, in my CrossFit class, like in my, in my mid luteal phase, like make sure that you're also, you know, taking the proper steps to hydrate and fuel and then see if there's a difference. Cause if you have those things controlled and you notice differences, it might, you might be like, oh, okay, well, like if I feel shitty next month during this week, I'm not broken. It's not a bad day. I'm just, okay. Maybe I just like, yeah. I'm not going to hit a PR. On or the maybe it yeah. just is a bad day. And yeah. sometimes we have bad days and that happens. And it's probably not your menstrual cycle either. Yeah. So there's just so much, so much variation that goes to this, even in the literature. Like I wrote a whole paragraph in my proposal that was like, so yeah, all these things happen, but um, honestly, it probably changes if you eat. I will say that the bigger differences are going to be seen between men and women rather than woman to woman at different time points. That's a big consensus of what I saw when I was writing my dissertation proposal is that you're probably different than men more so than you are from yourself or each other. The Messy Middle Podcast will be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. So... 
Yeah. And I would actually posit the opposite because (laughs) like what I see in the literature on the strength side is that there's so much variation between each of your cycles. Like there's, you have variation between each cycle and there's variation between woman to woman that our responses are so, uh, there's so much heterogeneity in our responses to training that like, or in our uh, performance itself that it's really hard to draw these conclusions. So like, it's both. Yeah. Depending Men on what might you're be better at. at using glucose and we're better at using fat, but at the end of the day, everyone is so different as a whole that like, yeah, I didn't mean that to say like people, like women's, your metabolism is the exact same, like me and Claire are the same, but yeah, those differences are very, very minute when you look at all these other factors. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's the, it's kind of, we're saying the same thing, but opposite. It, I know that's confusing for, for people listening. Um, but is there a better way for us to say that? Like think. metabolically women have an advantage from men technically when it comes to substrate, but that doesn't always mean better performance. Right. We even see that now with some of the studies coming out. Like, I mean, the, the consensus of the new ultra marathon sex differences type paper that just came out was like, we need more women to run ultras. So ladies get in the sport. Um, but like, even then, like, yeah, we see people like, uh, Courtney to Walter that are beating some men, but still like elite women aren't just because we can use fat, aren't necessarily like blowing out PRs on, on dudes. We just have that advantage where we might not deplete our carbs as fast, which is an advantage, but is that still translating to sports performance? I mean, men can always eat more carbs, right? You know what I mean? Like, so like, again, so can you, and so can you, right? <laughs> like, yeah, like, so, yeah. but then when it comes to strength, um, Claire did raise a really good point is that like, you're probably not going to see that many differences than, than dudes other than just normal sex differences. And we see in between that, but yeah. And there's like, I don't want to go down too big of a rabbit hole, but there's just, everyone has a very different response to training in general. Like when you're not controlling for the menstrual cycle, men and women across sexes, between sexes, all of it. And so it can make this stuff really hard to pull out. And there's just, like Liz said, there's bigger levers that we can pull, sleep, nutrition, uh, good training, like having an intelligent training program. All of these things are going to be better than just like automatically going to, I have to control for this. And like, you want to have the skills and the ability to train around this and perform really well around it. Because if you are competing, you don't get to choose when that competition falls. I think the biggest thing too is, and again, it comes back to this idea that being a woman is niche, but like you're a woman and you're going to experience, like you're, that's it. Like, unless you do like some sort of hormonal replacement therapy of some sorts or whatever it is, like until you, like, if you're a cis normal cycling woman until you hit menopause or you like get on birth control, whatever it is, like you're going to experience what you're experiencing regardless. Like it doesn't, I think there's this idea that like, because like there's men and women sports that like, it's like women compared to men, but like you are like, women are going to experience this. Like this is, this is our normal, right? So you're going to like Claire said, like, you're going to work with this for how many cycles for how many years. And if you're have athletic performance goals. It's probably 20, 30 years of your life that you care about these things to some degree, give or take. So like- It's like 3,500 cycles. Yeah, a lot. Unless you're <laughs> me and you've just been taking birth control for a decade and just living her best life. Um, Great. With my Do controlled it. hormones, right? And it's amazing, right? Um, so I think we'll, we'll, we'll add that too, that like 
Oh, I had a really good point about that. The reason I brought that up is because I was going to make a really good point to pivot. Oh, yes. We're going to talk about strength again because we're going to talk about periodizing around your, your cycle, um, if that's even appropriate or necessary. Um, but I will say, because we talked about birth control with the strength stuff, my other podcast does talk about it more with the aerobic or the, the, the aerobic stuff as a whole. But for the most part, you might see issues with like really high end energy metabolism, maybe a little bit, you have higher blood triglycerides with it. Um, but for all of these things, do not change your oral contraceptive use for your performance until you know that that is actually affecting your performance. Performance. I feel like that's a blanket prescription given on the internet for these things where you might not even, that might not even be the thing that's causing poor performance or, yeah, my, you I, know what I mean? Like, I would argue that's a conversation you have to have with your doctor. Like birth control yeah. is a conversation you have with your doctor, not some guru on the internet, us included. Like we cannot tell you to go off of your birth control. Also, this is the point I always make when people ask me this. I'm like, have you ever had a child? And it like, I haven't had any children, but um, I've had friends who've had children and they sound very exhausting. So if you think that you can maintain your current level of physical activity while having a child that doesn't sleep for 12 hours at night and they wake up every three hours, I would challenge you about going off of birth control. Yeah. Unless you have baby like, is going to make training so much harder. Yeah. I mean, this is like, not me saying don't get off birth control or don't get on it or get on it or get off of it. This is me saying like, this is a conversation you have to have with your doctor. And if you truly believe it's affecting performance, like a baby is going to perfect affect performance. And like, if you're not on birth control for, or like for baby prevention, like well, that's a, that's a conversation with yourself or your partner. Um, but I'm, per I mean, like straight up I'm on birth control. Cause I don't want to have a child during my PhD. And like, I've had that conversation with, I'm not going to lie. Like I'm going to, this is a tangent here, but when I first got into the literature on this, when I was in the, like at the beginning of my PhD, it was also when I started to get really big on Instagram. And like, even I fell victim to like freaking out about this. Cause I was reading a little bit of the literature and like, you do see kind of slightly higher triglycerides, at least during exercise or at least with that. And I'm worried about that. I have lipid diseases and cardiovascular disease in my family. And I went to my, uh, my OB is great. And I told her my worries. And I was like, listen, this and that. And she goes, you're running ultra marathons. You have mild symptoms. You have no, actually no symptoms, mild cycles. You're in your PhD. She's like, do you have an issue? Or are you just like wanting to get off just for the sake of it? And I was like, you raise a really good point. Cause I wasn't having any negative side effects. My, I was running ultra marathons. I've never had an issue with my strength. That might not be your case, but I went to my OB and I was like, Hey, these are my fears. They might be irrational, but I wanted to talk to you about them because this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm doing. These are my symptoms. This is my experience. And she didn't dismiss it. We talked logically. And she was like, listen, if you want to get off, you can get off. I'll support you. I'll give you whatever you want. But she's like, from my opinion, like this, this, and this. And we had a good conversation with a long-term plan of like, if I get off, what I would switch to, how I prevent it, the effects of having a baby. We had that conversation with my OB, which I know that not everyone has like that great of an experience with their doctor, but I always use that as an example because I was also afraid of these things when I first heard about them. But like I personally, which may not be your experience, don't, I don't have any negative side effects at all. And I've never hurt my performance. So it would make more sense for me to not have a baby. Right. But that might not be your experience, but I share that as a testament that like, if you're worried, don't be, but also be an advocate for your health, I guess. Yeah. Talk to your doctor, have a good relationship with them and be able to have that conversation. And if your doctor can't do that with you, 
find a different doctor, which is totally reasonable to like ask for a second opinion and find Mm -hmm. someone who can have that conversation with you. And part of healthcare is being able to connect with your doctor. Yeah. Cause when I first got on birth control, I had a lot of issues. I took four pills, but I I had a convert and I was an athlete. I was a college athlete at that point in time. And I kept demanding that I had a change in what I was getting until it worked for me. So it Mm -hmm. was just being an advocate for your own health kind of thing. So I wanted to give that tangent because I know that that's a, it's a heavy conversation. Someone's going to yell at me and be like, you're telling women to get a birth control. No, I'm telling you to just have an educated conversation with a medical provider. Yeah. <laughs> like, like and that. I'll, Go I'll ahead, add to that. Like I, so to be very transparent as well, I have an IUD and I love it because I don't have to worry. I can't remember to take a pill every day. I know myself well enough that I can't do that. So I just like have long-term birth control and still am able to, and I know women who haven't had the same experience, but I'm able to like train productively. It doesn't affect me. I like never think about it because I haven't had a period in three years, <laughs> which is great. And I don't have to worry about it. And I can wear white shorts to the gym and it's fine. Do whatever you want. Yeah. I do whatever I want. Cause I'm an adult. Yeah. So <laughs> I think that does. And I talked about this in my other podcast that it does get into layers of like, you have to make a personal choice also for your body, your reproductive choices with your partner or yourself, whatever that is for you. Like this is for, unfortunately dudes can just be like eat protein, lift weights. We have to be like, okay, like I have to consider other multiple factors. And that's just part of it, unfortunately, but like you, you know, it's all valid in that sense, but talk to your doctor. Don't listen to people on the internet who only have a CPT and read your, your, your birth control reports. Don't, don't (laughs) listen to people who Googled their symptoms to come up with an answer. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, after that tangent, cause I think that's important is don't change your birth control method. Just like, don't get on birth control because slight higher estrogen might increase your muscle, but also don't get off of it because someone told you like both those things are true. So when it comes though, to your cycle, um, should we periodize our training around our cycle? So you guys may hear that you should do higher volume in the first half, hit all your PRs in the second week of your luteal phase, um, and then do low volume the second half. And then for aerobic exercise, you should do only high intense the first half of the month and then be a potato for the second half of the month and do steady state low aerobic. To some degree, periodization and polarized training is actually great. There's a lot of good literature to support it, but that's a part of everyone's training program, hopefully to begin with. So let's tease apart if you should actually do this at all. Claire, I feel like you have a lot to say about this. I have so much to say about (laughs) this. And I'm so, okay. We're just going to first dive into the studies. So I'll like run through a couple studies and like talk about each of them. And then I'll give you kind of like my overview. So periodizing your training, like Liz said, is increasing training during a certain point of your cycle to maximize performance in hopes of increasing your performance performance long-term, right? So there was a study by Phillips et al. And they studied the adductor pollicis, which is the finger, it's the muscle that makes your finger adduct. Um, so it's, it's the muscle that makes your finger, your pointer finger, like move side to side. And so they're measuring this muscle across the menstrual cycle. They're not measuring hormones. They're just measuring based on this like 28 day average cycle. So they're, they're guessing at what point these women are in. And they found a 5% difference between phases. And we've talked about this earlier where we saw differences across strength in both birth control and regularly cycling women. So like these changes are really small. 5% of the adductor pollicis is tiny. And we see these changes. We see 5% changes in men across time. Like men naturally also have a increase and decrease in training based on 
I don't know what, lots of things. And so uh, they had differences in both or in their, like in their finger muscles. Mm-hmm. So um, if any of you do competitive finger wrestling, maybe this applies to you. Yeah. Uh, so they're using like these really small muscles to measure this stuff. The next study was by Sarwar, Sarwar et al. Um, and they had sedentary women and they measured quad strength and hand grip strength weekly. And they, again, didn't measure hormones. So that's like one of the, my biggest gripes against most of these studies, yes. at least at, on the strength side, is that they're not actually measuring hormones. They're guessing based on when you start your period. That's which a lot of studies. Yeah. It's, a, it's a lot of studies. And so they're measuring quad strength and hand grip strength. And they reported some difference between normally cycling women and, uh, I'm sorry, they reported some difference between women at, during their follicular phase and their luteal phase. And so like, maybe there's a, there's an effect, but they were still only looking at like one section or like one joint, right? So not performance at the whole. So then if we were like starting to, now we're starting to like periodize your training to your period um, and you're training at a certain level at a certain time, if you, there's people who measured the first dorsal interosseous, which is another finger muscle, <laughs> this one makes your finger like flex. And there's like high variability in people. So this is LeBrun et al. in 2013 and Constant, Constantini in 2005. So they measured the first dorsal, dorsal interosseous and they found like inter-individual variability um, in both training and peak performance. And it just seems like there's not a great uh, carryover into training. So there, the group that was periodized did see a small increase, but these are women who are not previously trained and um, compared to other women who are not previously trained. And while they do see an increase during the periodized section, we don't, or the periodized protocol, we don't know if that actually continues after the eight week study. So um, these, it's like not reliably increasing training outcomes and it's often done in regular college students. So women who are not high level athletes. So, and if you're a high level athlete, this is what you're worried about. So we don't really think that it like comports to big issues like later in training or something like that. Uh, let me make sure I covered everything. Yeah. I think there was like, there's one, there's something I'm missing. There's a few, I don't remember their exact methodology or protocols, but I know I reviewed them last year because I gave that talk where sometimes you see like that slight increase that second week of your menstrual phase. And then sometimes it trends downward, but when you break it up, like, so when we do research studies and we report data, we report averages and standard deviation, but a lot of studies they'll have it where you'll make figures where like, say you had 10 people instead of collapsing it into like, well, this is the average thing. They'll also share like every individual person's response. So like that individual response mm-hmm. and you see like as a whole as the trend, you might see it kind of zigzag across the cycle. So like go up, down, up again, I guess is like kind of that, that trend you see a little bit. But when you look at like every individual person, it's like, not everyone has that response. It's not always the same pattern. Like you might have greater performance, but you know, some, su- go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to no, say, I think like some of the studies are like, yeah, if you train higher volume the first half of your month, you might have more gains, but also 
you might second, not. You might not. And I think of the biggest issue with that is like what Claire said is like, I'm not saying these studies are bad and sounds science is invalid. I would say the biggest thing with female phys research is the lack of congruency and control on a lot of things. Like that's a huge issue. So these studies that are done, a lot of them are just like, people are lazy and don't want to test women to begin with. And you get a bunch of people just get really lazy about testing women, but and it's also really hard to get women into studies. Women are less likely to participate in studies. Yeah. So you're possibly getting mediocre trained early college girls who may or not like this, some of the strength protocols and research aren't even like really good training protocols and they're not long enough to see long-term effects. So we're just kind of going off of short-term acute responses to finger muscles or like average trained people, which for the mm -hmm. most part, if you're an average trained person, we're going to tell you to just be consistent more than worrying about this kind of stuff. This is like yeah. starting, this is like never doing a tracking macros in your life and starting carb cycling the first week. Like yeah. you have so much more to do before you even get to that, that point, if you even got there. Right. Yeah. There so. was a study on rowers and hands grip strength, which it does act like that is important. Yeah. And there was a difference between, uh, like high level rowers and, uh, regular cycling, um, non-athletes. And so there's a difference between those two groups of people, which would indicate that maybe there's like more pl at play than just the menstrual cycle that these individuals uh, who are like really high level don't actually see a difference when they're training um, or like don't see a difference in performance because they're well-trained above the level that their hormones are going to affect them. Yeah. And that's a, actually, so. that's a really good point. I, I feel like I know that inherently, but I never think to make that point that like, if you're trained high enough, so little should infect. I mean, it, like people who probably care about this the most are going to be like, maybe your elite CrossFit athletes who want that little advantage of a slightly anaerobic performance who might not be on birth control because the consensus is a small effect favoring not being on it. You know what I mean? Like that might be worth the risk reward for them. But for the most part, a lot of these things, it's probably like, you're not fit enough to worry about it, which is really mean to say. Um, it's not mean because there's just like yeah. bigger things that we need to focus on before we start focusing on your performance. Like 20 or 15% of women meet the the guidelines, guidelines by yeah. the, the, by the world health organization. So first let's just get 90% of women working out and then we'll focus on getting 90% of women working out efficiently. And then once we have that, then we can start talking about training on your period. Yeah. Or around it. Yeah. So no, and I then, no, go ahead, go ahead. Keep going. Yeah. And then to add to that, like, if you are one of those women who like is super gung-ho about sports and you do compete competitively, even in the strength world, like if you're one of those women, 5% is so small. So let's say I take 170 kilos for a training single and I have a 5% difference next week. What is that? That's like a five, that's a little bit more than a seven and a half kilo difference. I see that in training all the time. There are weeks where it's like just not there. Maybe I'm stressed. Maybe I didn't sleep well. It's probably not my period. It was probably my traffic on the way to the gym. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like, we're more complicated than just our periods. So. Yeah. So and I, I think we'll come back to that. Yeah. And I know I feel like, you know, the same things kind of apply when we look at, we, I kind of alluded to this already with aerobic fitness, but what, really when you look at aerobic fitness, like if you're looking at VO2 max performance, it's trivial. If nothing across the menstrual cycle, you might have a little bit of a lack of ability to get to that higher end anaerobic stuff in the, 
in the second half and birth control might impact that, but that's like your top, top level. And for the most part, you're not ever actually performing at your highest VO2 on average most of the time anyway. I don't want to say never, like if you're doing specific stuff, you might be up there, but you're usually submaximal for almost anything that you're doing. Um, granted being able to work at a higher intensity of your maximal, but like, that's where you see the differences and like that above 90% of your VO2 max, if there is any, um, I know personally, like we don't control for menstrual cycle when we do VO2 max test, even when I'm looking at menstrual cycle comparisons, cause it's just not worth controlling. Like it's just one extra obstacle for not really that much of a difference. And if you they're fed when they're doing their VO2 max test, so it probably doesn't even matter anyway. Yeah. Um, so the, the variability you're seeing in that is like smaller than noise. Yeah. So like, it's just, it's just noise. Because even you if you do two VO2 max tests, like two weeks apart, you're probably gonna have differences of one to 3% milliliters per kilogram anyway. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's like normal. Um, so your changes in performance are probably more related to like nutrient metabolism, maybe thermal regulation um, and like your just personal nutritional intake than especially with aerobic stuff across of it, um, you might be breathing a little bit harder, like slightly, like probably so little that you don't even notice it. Um, and you might have higher lactate in the second half of your menstrual cycle. But again, like these are things that you can reduce with just, if you have enough carbohydrate, you're going to at least support the ability to use those. Um, and the lactate levels are not like, I know this is me saying high that higher, but it's like, for those of you who understand lactate, it's like maybe like, I think if I can think of one study off the top of my head, I think it's like a five versus seven millimoles per liter, which for those of you who don't understand lactate, that's not that much meaningful difference in how you're going to feel as a person doing that. It's not like enough to like, it's already above the lactate threshold point of like four. So it's like, it's building up to begin with, but it's not so high that it's like five and 10 where you would be a lot more noticeably fatigued or like feeling the burn quote unquote at that point in time. So if it is there, it's still, even if it's significant, it might not be meaningful, which I know and like, I, yeah. Yeah. This is, the, I want to add to this, like what we, and this is what I talk about with my mentor a lot, um, is that like what we see that is significant in the literature, what has statistical significance is like that 0.05 typically. And if it's that 0.05, we say it's statistically, uh, significant but then if you go to training or the clinic my mentor is a, has his md so we talk about the clinic a lot uh does it actually change your prescription for exercise or for uh medication or something like that so if it's statistically significant in the literature that's fine it tells us that it's not a random chance difference but does it actually change how we prescribe exercise or how we exercise itself Probably not. And that's like the difference between statistical and clinical significance. And that's yeah. kind of what Alyssa, Alyssa is getting at here. Yeah. I don't know why I just butchered your name. Sorry. Well, it's because you wanted to call me no, Alyssa it... and Liss at the same time. It's confusing. Yep. Yep. I know people do ask all the time, which do I prefer? And most people call me Alyssa in real life. Um, unless they like talk to me, like they're my friend. So you can always call me either or both. I respond to everything. Usually, hey, asshole. Too. Okay, Alyss. Um, that's that's Alyss. your new name now. It's my new name, Alyss. Alyss. Yeah. Um, we're just them. Yeah. So in your real name, it's, it's like the same thing, right? I mean, we just calls me Anne. It's not even my name. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm going to say this was one of those things where I'm going to point this out because every once in a while, someone would be like, 
you're not receptive to intelligent conversation or changing your viewpoint. I'm like, no, you had a bad, a bad point. So I just generally put my overall conclusions here and I was really vague about it. And Claire actually made a comment the note and said, I struggle with saying this conclusion where I was going to give more context to it. But I want to emphasize that I was corrected by Claire and I'm going to make a point to acknowledge that what I said was probably not the best conclusion without more context. So I'm just going to put that out there. This happens all the time with my other intellectual peers, where they're like, oh, this might be a better, or this should be corrected or shifted. So we're going to make that point here for also when we're talking about scientific integrity, this is, this is a thing, this is a good thing to do. So anyway, my overall conclusion is it's maybe more advantageous, or you might find it easier or better or whatever the word you want to think if you're doing higher intensity work in your first half, because you're more glycolytic um, versus like lower intensity, quote unquote, deload rest in that second half. What I'm going to say for this is you just might feel like you have an extra kick the first half of the month that might go away if you eat enough carbs in the second half of the month. If you have really, really high, hard, miserable PMS symptoms, or you just hate your life and you want to deload or take a step back that week, like do what you want to do with your own life kind of thing. But if your training's controlled for and nutrition's controlled for, like it's really going to be individualized at the end of the day. And I don't think I'm also not someone who's anti-high intensity exercise, even though everyone's apparently anti-high intensity exercise. If you just don't feel like you have that extra kick, then just, I, I know this is like unpopular opinion, but like you can scale your, your intensity of your wads. Like, I feel like you're never like people like are like, you can never scale the intensity of your wads, but I RPE ate my wads all the time. Cause I like, just don't have it in me. If I have bad sleep or I'm stressed, like, I'm just not going to go balls out that day. I'm just going to RPE ate my wad. And like, I, that's like an okay choice to make for multiple things. If it, it happens to be your hormones, like that's also like a valid choice, but you don't have to do that. Like you can still go do your high intensity class. You can still do your marathon training. You can still lift heavy. Um, but if you personally feel like shit, like take a rest day, if you really want to, you might feel like shit for other reasons too. Yeah. I think it's important to note that like, you can, you can move your training from day to day. That's fine. Do that. If that's what you need to do overall, like if you're deloading every, so this is like the justification I give to my clients when they're like, I want to try this. I'm like, well, let's, let's talk about it first. Deloading just, every third week. You're deloading yeah, every fourth week. Fourth week. Yeah. And so you're spending three quarters of your time training and a quarter of your time, not train, like not training as high, which technically it's fine. That's how I train just because like, that's what I seem to respond to best is like three weeks on one week off. But like, if you can push yourself to do six weeks on one week off or eight weeks on one week off, you're getting a significantly higher percentage of your training is done at like intensities that create adaptation instead of these like deload weeks. And gosh forbid, if I could do eight weeks on and one week off, my coach would love it. You mean you're not like me who could just handle masses (laughs) Lots of beatings and then my body just crumbles and I take a week off. I'm deloading right now, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, like I the way that my program is written, yeah. I'll like do three weeks on and then the fourth week doesn't result in any further adaptations. We're like, okay, well, we'll just count that as a deload and then continue. Yeah. And I just seem to gain faster when I do that. But like that's not based on my hormones. Like I don't, I couldn't tell you when I'm on my period because I haven't had one. Yeah. Uh, so. And this isn't yeah. discounting tracking your cycle. That's really helpful. It can tell you a lot of what's going on in your body. You can look at like, you know, discharge and the texture and know where your phases are and like get into with your body, find out. I mean, you might find that you feel better. Maybe you take just an extra rest day or you do just something, you know what I mean? Like whatever mm-hmm. that week or whatever it is, but 
you know, like Claire said, I mean, for her, that's worth works best for her, but she knows that by training consistently, not because of her cycle. Um, and if you don't have consistency in your training to begin with, you probably don't even know how it's impacting you. Um, and like, I know like, this is super silly, but like, this might be a good example. I don't get my period super often on my birth control. Um, but I, I got it last month and I hurt my back and the, just like the bloating and the cramping and whatever from getting my cycle actually exacerbated what was going on in my back. So we just actually modified my training indirectly because of that, I guess, with my cycle. But then I was a lot better once it was ended. So I was like, oh, okay. A lot of that was probably related to just like me being bloated and having cramps, you know what I mean? Um, magnifying whatever I was experiencing, but like we pivoted, we kind of like pivoted that week. And like, I'm not going to do that again this month. I mean, I'm technically deloading this month, but I was just like, Oh, okay. Like, Hey, Noah, this is bothering me today. And we did belt squats. You know what I mean? Like, and I, I skipped a wad and we did belt squats. Like that was like the quick pivot that we made, but we would do that anyway for any other thing going on in my programming. Yeah. If you hurt your knee, you would all, well, okay. Let's say you hurt your shoulder and you couldn't get into that position and you're like, okay, well today is belt squats. It's fine. It happens. Like that's just a normal roll with the punches. Yeah. Yeah. Be adaptable. (laughs) So I will say, and I know Claire and I kind of take this stance and Claire's part of the barbell medicine gang. And I know they're pretty passionate about this as well, at least from what I see. Um, so, but a great tool that you can use that we both use, I use with my clients, like we both use in our training is just using rating of perceived exertion, right? You can check in with your intensity. So like, I don't periodize little, people have asked me if I was going to do that littlest method. I was like, first off, I'm not sinking 300 women's periods to my training program. Second off, like I was like, most of you like probably adjust indirectly anyway. Um, but we use RPE. And if you use RPE, that's a really great way, regardless of cycle, hormones, stress, babies, boyfriends, PhDs, girlfriends, parents, whatever it's dogs, cats. Yeah. Whatever's going on in your life. You could have the best day ever and get to the gym and your warm up sets feel heavier as crap. That happened to me a few weeks ago. And I just Mm -hmm. had to pivot my training because of it. Um, but RPE is a really great way to do this because say you are feeling these things, um, in the second half of your cycle or whatever, or the first half, you feel great. If you go in the gym, your RPE will reflect that anyway. And if you're training off RPE, you're going to, you're going to have like, like a, I don't, I can't think of the word I'm doing the hand motion and you guys can't see, I'm doing it to Claire, but you're going to have, yeah, you're going to have fluctuations in your strength that happen anyway. But if you Mm -hmm. are training at the same target, you can be like, okay, well today I just obviously am a weak little bitch. And so like, this is hard and heavy. I'm going to have to drop the load and that like, or I'm going to increase the load because I feel great. And this feels super easy and it's moving really well. And just kind of, you know, that's normal in training to begin with, but if you're using it as a tool, you're going to end up self accounting for that anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's also a lot of there's a broad range of weights or a broad range of speeds if you're running or intensities if you're doing something else that will lead to adaptation and Mm -hmm. the goal would be not to run yourself into a wall so hard that your fatigue is so high that you can't train again tomorrow right so if you have to drop the weight a little bit and train at a little bit lower of a weight but the rpe is still the same you're probably still getting a very similar adaptation response or stimulus to whatever you're doing. And then on the back end, like there's not going to be this huge change. So your body only knows the stimulus that you give it and you're more complicated than just your period. So 
Yeah. So I feel like we just did a lot of science lessons to tell you guys, like, I don't want you to think that the takeaway is that it doesn't matter, but the takeaway is that, you know, I don't, I don't want women to identify as like, well, I have a period, so I can't train hard or I have a period, so I can't do things. Um, I mean, you can do a whole shit ton in every phase of your cycle. And if you're training hard and fueling correctly, the small differences that may be present for you can still be worked through and you can still make progress in like it. It's not like, oh, you have progesterone so you can never gain muscle or be fast. It's, oh, okay, this happens, but I'm smart and I'm going to just maybe make sure I sleep extra and eat extra if I'm not already doing it um, to help reduce these impacts and still train hard. Like you're not frail and broken. (laughs) No, you're resilient. That's like a big big thing I think we all push so yeah so hopefully you guys learned something I feel like we talked a lot about um, do we need to go through these questions I'm gonna skim through them and see I think we did a really good job at mixing things in I think the only thing that people did talk about was um you know I I get asked a lot about red s and and hypothalamic amenorrhea um And I mean, there's a lot more to this, but really guys, that is not a reflection of your, that's not caused necessarily by your menstrual cycle. That's because you're going to have like lowering estrogen because of high stress from either low energy intake from your diet or high exercise, usually a combo of both and not having enough energy available from your nutritional intake. So your body's going to prioritize using your calories for like staying alive Um, And if you're under eating compared to your performance, it's going to then reduce that. It's not going to want you to recover because it doesn't really care about your gains. Your body doesn't care about your gains, cares about staying alive and making muscle or recovering from exercise is energy costly. And so at that point, if it can't recover from its body processes, well, first it's not going to recover from your exercise and then it's not going to be able to recover from its body processes that it needs to do. And so it's just not a good position for it to make a baby. So it's going to drop your sex hormones, and then you're going to lose your period. Or you could have, this isn't meant to freak you guys out. You should track this and talk to a doctor. You can lose your ovulation and not know it because you won't have a peak in estrogen, but still have a period and have like precursors of this and stuff. Um, That's a big issue in these studies too, is you get women, you test them and they actually like are, they skip their cycle because they have like this. So my biggest thing with that again is eating enough and training intelligently. But if you're worried about this, track your cycle. You can track your ovulation, but then work with a doctor and a special medical team, especially, especially because this can be tied to disordered eating. So I'm always really careful about this topic because sports, especially Claire and iron, apparently I'm in a weight class sport. Now we're in weight class sports. You know what I mean? But sports in general, see a lot of this, but you also see this with just general women. So, um, you might have symptoms and issues that turn to like muscle loss or bone decrease or low estrogen before you even lose your cycle. You can lose your cycle at any body size. I don't want you guys to think this is just like very thin lean running woman. I feel like that's the stereotypical image of this. Um, but this is something that like you should be aware, but working with like a medical team to help you come back. Cause it is a manipulation of energy and exercise. Um, and that, you know, again, I think a lot of people give blanket statements on the internet that says any, everything is due to food and nutrition, but you could also food, nutrition, exercise, and stress. And if you have any cycle irregularities, it's due to that. And that's a really broad oversimplification because you could have, you could have PCOS, you could have maybe some horrible, like other diagnoses or something bigger, more complicated going on. So I think the oversimplification of like, 
well, if you're not, if you're over-exercising or not eating enough or you miss a cycle or you have something going off, like it's definitely your fault and you're overstressed. like go to a doctor. It might be related to something totally different. Um, don't let people tell you that it's only this, it's only your exercise, your nutrition. Like it could be something more. Like, I feel like I'm so cautious about that. I see that a lot on the internet where people are like, everything's due to your, to your, to your hormones and your period and exercise eating. And there's a lot more that goes on. I wish I could tell people how complicated, like, and make it stick, like how complicated hormones actually are. Cause it's not just like a, a simple, like, oh, one hormone is too high and that's causing your problems. It's like, there's so many feedback and feed forward loops that you're dealing with, with hormones. That's much more complicated than people make it out to be on the internet. And so just be careful of that. And I also wanted to add list what the symptoms are of red S, which would be like, uh, things that, so like, if you're having, if you typically are cycling normally and you're pretty consistent, if you start having like crazy changes in your menstrual cycle, you need to go see a doctor. If you're suffering from multiple stress fractures Mm -hmm. or, um, that's an indicator of bone loss. Um, and then if you're having like drastic changes in performance levels and you like can't maintain whatever performance level you're doing, that is also an indicator. Am I missing any? Those are the big three, like performance changes, uh, consistent stress stress fractures. Yeah. And loss of a regular period, or if it starts to get like really uncomfortable, like if your period is like really painful yeah, or your cramps are really painful, then it's also time to go talk to a doctor. So, yeah. and I will say this isn't necessarily directly related to red S, but in general, I will also say that I think a big thing I get a complaint from women that isn't part of these questions, but I think it's kind of related to this is like always complaining about poor muscle recovery. Um, more, and that might be like a symptom that you're under eating to, to begin with that just because you're not recovering well, though, doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to lose your cycle or you're not ovulating or you have low estrogen or red S or whatever it is. Um, but like a huge thing is like nutritional intake will affect that, but that it's downstream related to these things that could potentially happen. So, um, you're probably not like clinically diagnosed. If you have poor recovery, it might just be shit training volume and bad, like sleep and stuff. But generally like, again, weird, make sure you're feeling yourself correctly. <laughs> like the real, I feel like the whole podcast is just, again, me and Claire yelling at women to eat more food. <laughs> like, like, yeah. Just, once again, asking you to eat enough. <laughs> yeah. Eat enough, sleep enough. Like your biggest levers for improving your training are going to be eating properly, having a training volume that is recoverable and, um, intelligently programmed to be specific to what you're training for. And, sleeping enough. Those are like your big three. And if those three are not managed, let's start there. And then I think if you wanted to add a fourth one, being able to manage whatever stress levels you have. So like being like having systems in place to manage or deal with stress that will inevitably say that stress has negatively impacted me way more than any of these other things. Swear to God. Like that, I'll call myself out on this. So you guys can like feel better. I feel like whenever I call myself out and stuff, people are like given permission to do the same for themselves. Like I'm like a testament of truth. Like clearly I'm overstressed people. Have you seen me like exist? Um, so the next one, and I, you might know this, you might not clear, I don't know, but I did get asked this a few times. I've been asked this actually frequently enough to bring it up here. Does ibuprofen when you take it for cramps interfere with recovery? And 
to some degree, anti-inflammatories and like insides and stuff like that can like inhibit the like appropriate inflammatory process of exercise. But I think there's a certain dosage of which it like you have to like the threshold of the dosage of how much you take, I think. I don't know off the top of my head and I don't feel qualified to answer this question. I don't question. either. I didn't know if you knew that. So I wasn't I don't. sure. Okay. Um, I can I, ask and figure it out. I have yeah. people whom I, I figured can ask. You, I didn't know you might know just because you're surrounded with people that are more like doctors. I mean, I'll um, just, so yeah, I'll just text the BBM team and ask them. And see if they know. Yeah. I'm not sure for sure. Um, so I will say with this that me and Claire don't know. Again, another testament of us yeah. saying we don't know everything. Um, um, we can try to I, find out for you guys. Yeah. Show notes or I can record an extra little addition to here. We can ask people who are mm-hmm. actually qualified to speak to this. But I will say that like, don't feel like you can't take something to alleviate your cramps. Like, I don't yeah, like- I would, I would, I would like, caution you to not take over the recommended dosage on the bottle. Yeah, and probably underneath that, you're probably going to be fine. Again, unless you're like trying to win the Olympics, this probably isn't something you should be worried yeah, about. Layer one, I mean, God, sometimes I take, I mean, I do like try not to, like, I personally try not to take like painkillers all the time because like, yeah. I'm, like that's probably not great for my recovery or health. And like, it just in general, like I try to like not pop them left and right where we just will just like take a handful because I'm like. I mean, yeah, like, I'd rather target sleep, recovery and nutrition. Yeah before yeah. I worry about that. So, yeah. okay. We don't know if Claire finds out from someone smarter than us, I'll let you know. Yeah. Um, should you time your races or meet with your cycle? Claire to answer this in here. Claire's really passionate about this. <laughs> no, you can't just because like I, if I could control when my Federation schedules meets around my period, that'd be great. Um, but also every other woman in my Federation would be trying to do the same thing. And none of us are linked up because we live all over the country and we're individuals you're not uh, saying together howling at the moon at night together thinking <laughs> kumbaya on your cycles and then calling the, uh, the IPS we're actually just a federation of uh witches and uh, <laughs> no this is why no one likes us um, and i will say the same for races because say your cycle is a weird number of days it's not a perfect month and you're usually you're signing up for races like six to 12 months in advance the chances that you might be off are like, you might Pretty be high. close within a few, even a few days, but like, even if you have one month of an off cycle, it could just derail all your plans. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't like bank on, okay, free, or like, even with your, like, if you're on birth control, like, don't be, like, I'm going to do this during my sugar pill week. Like you're like, just sign up for your performance and knowing that, you know, there's, I mean, especially wait, I mean, I don't know, I'm doing my first weightlifting competition in like five years this weekend. So I like, can't really speak to that because I've like, it's been so long. Um, but at least for races, there's so many things that can affect your race day performance, especially if you're doing longer distance stuff, um, that I would just like sign up for what you want to do and don't worry. Cause yeah. you might just, you could have, you could be like in the second week of your menstrual cycle and have the shittiest day of your life. Like, mm-hmm. so, yeah. And I just want to like add to that. So for those of you who follow powerlifting, Natalie Hansen is like one of the best power female powerlifters in the world. Like she has won worlds multiple times and she went to nationals, won nationals, and then two weeks later went to worlds and won bench worlds. And is like the likelihood that either of those fell in like a bad week for her is pretty high because it's they were two weeks apart. Exactly. So like you can win national competitions or international competitions at any point in your cycle. 
Yeah. So, and I'm going to, and she has told me I'm allowed to share that. <laughs> so yeah, no, I'm not I just mean, sharing it's, women. it's true. I mean, you think of like the CrossFit games, there's like 50 women or 30 women or whatever. And I would assume, and a 30 of them, 25% at any point in time, statistically on average are in each week of their cycle. Like yep. theoretically, um, I don't think Tia's winning five CrossFit games, four CrossFit games in a row because they, they plan it that way. It's just, if you're good, there's like, you're good. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Be yeah. good enough to train regardless. So I always tell my athletes, like you shouldn't like, there's this idea of like, oh, I just misgrooved it. I'm like, well, you should be strong enough to do it. Even if you misgroove it, or you kind of get a little off because that would indicate that you're just super strong. Right. Yeah. I mean, I can tell I want, I have lifts where I am stressed and I'm in my own way and has nothing to do with anything. And it just completely me being mentally weak. I have to calm myself out of my shit. (laughs) Yeah. And you, yeah, you're just, I wonder if that maybe, okay, well, I, I wonder, maybe maybe I'll pivot my dissertation to psychology and see how much the psychology around menstrual cycle affects performance over actual physiological changes. Cause I feel like that might actually be more of a. Yeah. And I would bet based on the narratives that are said during, or like on social media and in the media in general around women's cycles and around women's uteri are more impactful than the actual, uh, physiological processes themselves. Yeah. I guess this is a good time to add the disclaimer that I should have done in the beginning. A lot of this research guys, actually all this research that we talk about today is done on cis women. So that's why we kind of refer to women a lot. When we say this, I know that every once in a while I get caveats on Instagram where people are like talking about, you know, obviously not everyone is necessarily that is menstruating as a woman, but this literature is done on cis women. So like I, I should have added that earlier. Um, but in general, you know, there are a lot of narratives around that that are given to that population. And that's the research that's on it. So building off that adapting and training for hard cycles. Um, this one, I always struggle with addressing. I know we just talked about reps and reserve and RPE, but I know you work maybe with one more on one-on-one clients and I get this asked a lot of my Q and A's and I never want to downplay women's symptoms. Cause I know that bad periods can be a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. I never want to be like, Oh, it doesn't matter. Or you're, and I also don't want to give the blanketed, like you're in your little hormone phase. Your performance actually should be great. Cause that's like, you know, if someone's, yeah. I mean, I got on birth control at first, which I'm going to get lambasted on the internet when people find this out because I had cramps during lacrosse and I was sprinting and I was sick of wanting to die while doing that. I got on birth control because I called my mom after like a a really hard sprint workout. And I was like, I'm fucking done with this mom. We're getting on the pill. I was like, I'm done. Um, That's a, that's taboo though, to say online. Um, I mean, I got on birth control, the pill originally because I had cramps that made me throw up. So like, yeah, that's like, that's those like, are real things. Those um, are real things. I would say you don't have to get on birth control if you don't want to, but if you're having extreme symptoms, talk to a doctor, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like work with a doctor. Um, and this is advice I give people in general. And this kind of is like what Claire talked about rearranging your training week. You can like, say you get your cycle and you have, you like, say you train Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, but you get your cycle on a Sunday and you take two rest days a week or three rest days a week or whatever it is. Um, don't be afraid to like shift your Monday training to Tuesday and train Tuesday, Wednesday, you know what I mean? And then Friday, Saturday, or Mm -hmm. like 
you know, maybe you skip one day of training and you add some extra volume in the rest of your week, or you, you know what I mean? Like, or like you rearrange whatever it is, or you shift your training cycle. Or like, I do this when I have really busy weeks in grad school that I'll take it two rest days during the week. And I'll do an extra training session, like on the weekend or something like that. Those are always options. So like, if you get your cycle and you're like, shit, I got my period. Even if you mentally are like, fuck this, I'm not going to the gym today. You can, you can still do that workout later in the week. Like that's still yeah. an option. Like assuming your symptoms decrease by day three, five, seven, or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, that, I mean, rearranging your week is literally always just an option. Like in general, I try not to for consistency purposes, but like, if you, you need to, you, you do, um, or like a great example is last week. I don't know you guys, this is by the time this comes out, you won't remember. Um, I did an AMRAP. I completely toasted my, my squats for like two weeks. I missed my lift the next week. No, and I decided that because my just my legs weren't recovering and I just felt super fatigued before my deload, I took an extra rest day. And instead of taking it off entirely, I just took two days in a row and I shift my whole training back for the week. And like, I still got all my training in last week. We still made progress. We're still competing this weekend. Like that was like a very valid option in the moment and it still worked out. So you could do the same exact yeah. thing. Okay. Um, again, building on this, is training around your cycle or skipping a workout valid excuse or being lazy? I mean, no. same thing. No, yeah. I mean, if you're making it work your life. Yeah. Yeah. Train in the way that is most beneficial to you. There's no like right way to do it. I'd rather you be working out consistently than like be worried about being lazy. Like do what's best for you. Yeah. Even if you want to get two or three lifts in a week instead of three or four, whatever it is, you're still doing it. Like, you know, I, I think it also depends on the context of you. People ask me this, in I like not in reference to the cycle too. And honestly, like, <clears throat> I can't tell you guys what's lazy for you or not. Right. And you have to just talk about what are your performance goals? Cause like what Claire and I are willing to skip to be lazy. Like I, it's a lot for me to skip a workout. Like, cause I account that to being lazy or being responsible, but our priorities are maybe a little more extreme than your priorities. Like if you're listening to this, we're, you might be listening to this and have your priorities the same level as Claire and I's. Um, so my personal thing I ask myself is, will this dig too deep into my recovery than I can get out of if I feel like it's going to? Um, I did that a lot when I was ultra training and lifting at the same time. Sometimes I would do extra runs, but if I felt like the mileage was just going to hurt me more than it was going to help me, then I just would skip it or I'd cut it um, if my recovery was poor. But like, that wasn't me being lazy. That was me being smart because I cared more about my performance that next week um, versus like, if I'm like, oh, I'm having a bad day, so I'm just not going to go to the gym and I'm competing next week, like that maybe is not as valid an excuse. So you really just have to assess that yourself, uh-huh. irrespective of your cycle, but in the context of your cycle. Yeah. Yeah. For me to skip a workout, I have to be laid up in bed, physically ill, like vomiting kind of ill to skip a workout Yeah, because it's so central to like my goals and like trying, I like, I'm trying to win nationals right now. Like that's my goal is to win nationals. So like my choices are train or don't win nationals. So it's just like, everyone has a different goal. Yeah. So So. pick your priorities. Only, you know, if you're being lazy, if your cycle's that bad, make it fit your life. Like realistically, like if you're missing one workout every few months, like you're, it's not that big of a deal. Like if you're taking a full week off every four weeks, maybe assess your approach, but like, you got to look at the context. Best way to track your cycle, um, flow app, I think is the number one app. 
out I don't there? Know. Uh, I don't know. I they don't know. Reached out don't to ask me. me. They've actually reached out to me um, about doing stuff for them. And I never committed because I had not have enough time. Um, I think flow is the big one. Um, there's a couple out there, um, that you can track it with. Um, you just, there's, I mean, I think there's like a million apps now. So if you really want to do it, they have ones that you can track, like your, your feelings, your, all these emotions, mood, hunger, you can track your cervical discharge, mucus, whatever they call it, depending on the description of it. Um, your WAP, I guess. That's spot, I think. Spot, yeah. describing, yeah. Spot, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's best. I don't don't track mine either. You're also totally allowed to not track your cycle. It's fine. You can still live a full and complete life not knowing. I know. I feel like everyone's going to listen to this podcast and be like, you're anti-woman. I'd be like, no, we're just like, you're not broken, yo. Um, You can be aware. It's kind of like, I like, I, I've been tracking macros for three months, even though I hate it. Cause I need to be aware of what I'm eating for performance, but like, I'd be perfectly fine my entire life, not knowing otherwise, if I didn't care about performance, it's probably the same thing. Like you can track it to be aware if you would like to be. Um, but if you don't, you, there's other ways to just pay attention. Um, it's a tool. It's not a way of life. Yeah. Um, so we, answered I think that's all of it. That's it. Um, that's all of so, it. That's it. We really answered all this. And this is a not yeah. as long as I thought it was going to be, but pretty long. So that's okay. I figured it would be, yeah. but that's good. So this will, my whole life is just trying to create resources for the questions I'm asked about the most. I want it to be really <laughs> thorough and I want Claire to come on because she has a lot of good things to say about this too. Um, I will fight you over, over your period. <laughs> I know it's funny. Cause we're really into this and we research it and we don't want you to think that like, even though like like I'm possibly dedicating my life to female physiology research that that means that like, I think this stuff isn't important. I just think it's important in the context of yeah. what we're talking yeah. about. Um, and like, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I think at the end of the day, sometimes I have these existential crises where I'm like, none of this really matters because I might be better off just actually spending my life eating women in the gym than doing this work anyway, because that's the bigger issue. <laughs> like, ultimately. Yeah, I think I agree that getting women in the gym is like the biggest, biggest thing that we, or the biggest goal that we have as a society and as the two of us. And then like for the women who are in the gym, like your levers that you want to pull are being able to manage whatever stress you're given. Cause you're not going to live a life without stress. You can't decrease it. So be able to manage whatever stress you're given, eat properly, sleep enough and have like good training, like higher people who write good training programs and don't give you junk volume. Yeah. I'd say the biggest thing is that most of you listening to this, and I say this with all the love in my heart, I'm not even saying that like me and Claire have the best programs in the history of the universe. Um, So you don't have to like run to our programs, but a lot of you might be doing programs that like aren't even helping your performance to begin with or Mm -hmm. are so unstructured that like it's not even the first thing on your mind should be restructuring your program. And then again, you don't have to track your nutrition down to like the gram, but just being cognizant of how you're fueling yourself, um, managing stress, recovery. Weirdly in the metabolism podcast, I also said the same things for boosting your metabolism. So it's almost like everything in health and fitness from every angle comes back to like these five pillars of like, yeah, everything. Like it's not sexy at all. (laughs) No, it's not. And it's, 
the the fitness industry wants to make you feel like you're special so you have to buy something special and yes you're special that's fine i i love all of you i've never met most of you but i love all of you i think you're all great but you're not special like you are just the same as every other human and you have to follow the same boring training principles that every other woman and man has to follow in order to get your gains so yeah and it sucks sometimes i'm not going to deny it it's hard and it's it's okay and You'll i think like okay. a good example of this is that like i have like 300 women in littlest method and i all give them the same program but like because i use things like rpe and give examples of how to adjust modify and scale they can all make progress and it's all unique to them and some might make more and some might make less as they adapt to their own lives but i integrate that into my programming more than i integrate like your cycle because i know that's going to matter more for gains adherence like enjoyment than most of these other things that's not saying they're not important but you're gonna need to be in that 99th percentile before they probably make a difference unfortunately and even in that 99th percentile most women don't don't deal with it or don't worry about it they're just too because they've gone so long without worrying about it that they don't need to they know how to train around it control your shit (laughs) yeah don't Uh, worry you're gonna be okay I promise you're still going to live a full and complete life, even with a period. Yeah. Or on your birth control pill or, or on your, or on your IOD or when you're pregnant or when you're postpartum, like all these are just adapting to seasons of life and doing what you can do to work with it. And really at the same, at the end of the day, um, everything's individual. RPE is a fantastic tool. Seasons of training and periodization in general is a fantastic tool regardless of if you're male, woman, cycle or not. Um, but yeah. I think that's it. I think we covered it all. Claire, this was I'm really sh- good. This was great. I, I really like enjoyed this. I need this. to co-host more episodes with you, but I feel like we just need to rant I one day. I feel like <laughs> we one. need to do a rant on the bullshit in the, f- excuse me, sorry. The you bull crap. my podcast. <laughs> it's me. I mean, yeah. I mean, I just try I not swear to publicly. My- uh, well, tits. you know, I set up yeah. to my tits and someone's going to yeah. listen to this and I'm going to be trying to get a postdoc and I'm like, you said tits on the internet. I'm going to be like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, so we need to do one on the bull crap in the fitness industry. Mm-hmm. And then I think we should probably do a programming one, like programming for strength training. Oh, yes. We could probably go pretty deep on that and talk about how, like talk more about what RPE is and what is recoverable volume and how you program something to be like intelligent and like what that actually looks like so that when people see a program on the internet, they can be like, this may or may not be intelligent. We should do that. We bet we could combine it too, where we can tag team it. Cause you probably are more specifically knowledgeable in that because of your background. Um, but we could tag it too with like appropriately pairing that with aerobic modalities as a whole. So you're like, like, cause that's like the big question, right? It's like, how do you strengthen? That's the big question for you. The rest of us don't care. No, like, I couldn't but care I think less we about, talk about programming. Training. We can talk like, we could like tag team that as one big thing, make it like a two big parter. Cause I think mm-hmm. that's the big question for everyone, not even running, but just like, even like other stuff. I think about like, no one knows what that looks like from either perspective. Like I see that all the time. People are like, well, how do I know what junk volume is? And I'm like, well, I can't answer this in a Q and A. Cause I have literally no idea what you're doing because like my junk volume and your junk volume are not the same junk volume. Like, yeah, well, we need to talk about what specificity is and why it's important yeah and all that stuff okay so claire will be back um i'm gonna read all those textbooks behind me before i meet with claire again (laughs) 
I'm kind of kidding, but I'm not. Um, I know you're not. It's I'm fine. not. I'm not. I do study for my podcast episodes. If you guys don't know that, like I really do like read up before my, but we made a full we had- Google doc. Yeah, we have a six-page Google Doc that doesn't include the 90-page dissertation that you wrote on this and the (laughs) 20-page paper that I wrote for the BBM website on this. So like... Yeah. So is that published? Because I'll link it in our show notes. No, it's not yet, but I'll let you know when it is published. So Uh, either way, if you're not following Claire on Instagram, it's at Claire Claire. underscore Barbell Medicine now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Claire's really legit because she works with Barbell Medicine. And I'm going to say this publicly that they terrify me in the most (laughs) respectful way. When I ran my ultra with Jason, because he's friends with like Austin and them and like whatever, he was like, really? You're scared of them? And I was like, I don't really know because I'm running this ultra with you, Jason, and I've never met you before. And you're also in med school and you also are super smart and kind of terrify me. And you trusted me to program for you before. And it terrified me when I was doing it. But I was like, yeah, they terrify me because they're smart, not because they're men, because they're smart. So when Claire got hired by them, I was like, one, one for the team. I was like, woo. I, I mean, I've, yeah. I've emailed with Leah before and like Derek DMs me, which scares me every time he does it. But like, It's I'm fine. Like, when Derek DMs me, I'm scared too. So I'm like, thanks for the scientific article. I'm going to go read this for like the rest of my day. So anyway, yeah, Claire's super smart. She works with a really good team of professionals that do have really good resources beyond what I even have. I recommend BBM for like I recommend a lot of their stuff to people. So once Claire posts that with them, um, and then someday I'll graduate and I'll share my dissertation with you guys publicly and you can read that then. So anyway, on that note, we just rambled and I hope you guys enjoyed it because I'm not going to cut it out. Thank you guys for another messy middle episode. This was a very, very messy middle episode. This is really like what encompasses the messy middle where you take stuff and you like really tease it out. So it's not black and white. It's not extreme. There's a lot of variation in the middle. Um, So... I'm going to sign out and I say, I want you guys to live well, demand better. And Claire, can you say stay messy? Oh, yeah. Stay messy. It's all about that big hoop uterus energy. Well, we are both wearing our big hoops today. I've got my uterus hoops on. I like that. You can't see them. Do you you have a pair that says big hoop uterus energy? No, they're they're actually uteruses. No, I know your hoops are uteruses, but you should make shirts that say big hoop uterus energy. Or big, I have been big uterus energy, not big hoop energy, uterus energy, just big uterus energy. Mm, yeah. Get a bonfire. Might- <laughs> do it. It takes like 10 minutes. It's like nothing. bonfire. Yeah. Do bonfire and upload it and I'll, t- I'll share in the show notes and you can just make money off of your 10 minute Canva thing. <laughs> Just make hoodies that say big uterus energy and I bet they'll sell. I'll show them on my page. So anyway, okay. thank you guys. If you appreciated this episode, one, follow Claire. Two, please share, tag, tag us both. Rate, review. Um, if you guys got value in this, I think these episodes are really fun to bring in other experts um, that are like more in the niche. So thank you guys so much and we will catch you next week. 